Tonight we're going to be in John chapter 21, so if you have a Bible, you want to turn it there, you can. Um, if you're like, bro, I don't even own a Bible, no worries, um, we'd love to give you one. Uh, also, if you're like, I didn't bring a Bible, we have some in the back, so if you want to grab a Bible just to borrow, you can. If you need a Bible, let me know, I'll give you one. We're in, in John chapter 21, we, we've been in this series called House Rules, and this is a series that if you're a regular that you've seen before, we do this series um, semi-often because we want to remind you what uh, River Oak Student Ministry is about. And you being um, a part of River Oak Student Ministry, you not only are hopefully a recipient of some of the benefits of the house rules, but you also are responsible for the house rules. Because here's the way culture works, real quick. When we say house rules, we're really saying, hey, we, wanna, we want to set the culture of our student ministry, of the harbor, of Sunday mornings. Like, we want to set the culture. But here's how culture works, real quick. Are you ready? Culture is not set by one leader. I actually can't determine and, inf- and really do a whole lot Um, to influence the atmosphere of this room, meaning how it feels when you come in and how you feel when you leave. Like, I can do some, I can encourage it, I can be a part of setting an example for it, but ultimately the people that make up the majority of the environment set the culture for the environment, meaning you and how you treat this place and how you treat the people around you actually Uh, It creates the culture and the atmosphere for which people feel when they come in here. So, to lay that out, when you are welcoming, someone comes in, they feel welcome, regardless of if I say, like, like I welcome them or not. When you, who make up the majority of this place, welcome someone when they come in, people feel welcome. On the flip side of that, when you do not welcome them, when you ignore them, when you stick to your comfort zone and your friend group and your com- like, like little area, when someone comes in, they actually feel very disconnected, regardless of if I or one of the other leaders comes up and says, hey, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. And you know why that is? Because when they look at someone who's older than them, an adult, but a leader here, they assume it's their job. When you do it, they know that you're doing it out of the kindness of who you are. And so you get to set the culture here. And so we want to go through this series on a regular basis to remind you of what we're shooting for, of who we want to be and what kind of place we want to be. And so there's three house rules, three house rules, really really simple. Um, First is rest then refocus, and then risk. We want this to be a place of rest. Blake shared last week about how we want to rest. That we want you to come in this place, and regardless of what you've done throughout the week or what's going on or what's going on in your family or what's going on in your mind or how you're feeling about yourself, that you would come in this place and it would be a safe place where you would be able to just rest. Rest in who you are. Rest in who God made you. Rest from the pressures of the world. Rest from your homework. Rest from your grades, from your sports, from all the other things. And just for a little bit, be able to sit with friends, be able to laugh at somebody trying to eat a can of beanie weenies, be able to hang out and just rest. That it would just be a breath of fresh air. And I know for some of you, it is that. And I know for others of you, 
it's not that yet. That you come in and you're like, man, actually, this is stressful. Actually, I'm here because my parents made me be here. Actually, I don't know if I like it here. Some of you are like, yes, I love to be here. I, I'm so glad to be here. And others of you, not so much. And so that's what we're shooting for, is that we would create an environment that can be restful for anyone who walks in. But that takes you and me saying, hey, we want to we wanna, we wanna be the kind of people that welcome people in. But also, we want to focus, right? We want to rest in who Jesus is. Because ultimately, that's where rest is found. Where we stand before Jesus, where we worship Jesus. Like, that's part of resting. Where we can just say, Jesus, I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to rest in who you are, regardless of what I, go, I have going on, because I know that you are bigger than me and in control of those things. The second thing that we really want to challenge you to be, and we want this place to be, is a place of refocus. That, that, that whatever you've got going on, whatever's distracting you, that when you come in this place and you rest at the feet of Jesus, he would refocus you. Now, this is big, because I'm even going to challenge you in this moment right now. Some of you, when we come to a place right now where someone stands before you and they start to teach, you take this device, you open it up to a site you've probably been to 10 million times, mainly Instagram or Snapchat or whatever else, and you just begin to scroll. Some of you, it's a habit. Some of you, you're like, I would just rather do anything else than listen. Some of you, um, you're, you're addicted. And I don't mean like addicted, like, like trying to make fun of you. It's just what it is. Like, it's an addiction. Um, that's how it's built. And so I would just challenge you even in these moments that when someone stands up and they begin to teach that you would just say, you know what, I can sacrifice 20 minutes. I don't need to be on my phone for 20 minutes. I don't need to be on my, on my, my AirPods for 20 minutes. I, I can sacrifice 20 minutes just to say, hey, God, if you have something to say to me, I'm going to listen. If you're going to use this, this ridiculous-looking dude in front of me, like, I'll listen. I'll listen to what, to what you got to say. And so I would just even challenge you in that, that you would refocus, that allow this to be a place where you, whatever's been distracting you, that you would allow Jesus to do a work in you by giving him your attention. And he would be doing the refocusing. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to kind of jump into what it means to allow Jesus to begin to refocus who we are. God, we love you. We thank you so much for this time. I thank you for my friends here. I thank you for your word. <clears throat> God, would you speak through me and speak clearly? God, we love you. Um, bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. When I think about focus, uh, I, I primarily think about a couple different situations. One of them, um, it was the last day of school in the 10th grade of high school. I'm driving a 1959 Chevrolet Apache. It has no power steering. It has no AC. It has no electric windows. Everything is like cranked down. This thing topped out at maybe 80 miles an hour, and it shook like it was going to like explode. It was really a great car. Um, I'm driving down the road, last day of 10th grade. I'm feeling like on top of the world. I'm, I remember like looking back at the school, just thinking, I hate you. I hate you, school. And I'll, I don't have to see you all summer. And like just thinking like, I, I'm alive and I survived another year. And you think I'm exaggerating, but truly that's what I was thinking, was like, praise the Lord. I'm never going back until August, but never going back until August. And then as I'm driving and I'm victoriously looking back, 
I feel a big bump on my right side where my truck had veered off the road and I had jumped the curb on one side. The problem with that was there were light poles on that side of the road. And I remember frantically grabbing my wheel and yanking it as hard as I can and coming about two inches from nailing a light pole on the last day of school on the school drive in front of all of my friends who are also leaving the school and just thinking, wow, leaving school, I was actually looking in the wrong direction. See, here's the thing for you who haven't learned to drive yet. Um, you have to look in front of you when you're going forward. It's key. It is very important. Uh, and I almost nailed this light pole. And, and it was this realization moment where the Lord was like, dude, you're focused in the wrong place. <laughs> Literally and figuratively and spiritually and all the ways. You're focused in the wrong place. That sometimes when we focus in the wrong place, we end up in a wrong situation. And, and, and we want to say, man, how did I get here? And it turns out that you aren't looking in the right direction to go in the right direction the whole time. It's this really interesting, um, it's this really interesting thing that happens. That when um, our heart desires uh, to know Jesus and to find Jesus, he begins to focus our attention around Jesus. And yet when our heart desires the world, we begin to focus around the world. Now the trouble is being a Christian who lives in the world is that our heart, we want to focus on who Jesus is, but yet there's so many temptations to draw us to the world. Many of you struggle with that right now. And I know the struggle personally because I still struggle with that today. That yes, I want to follow Jesus and I want to run after Jesus, but yet there's so many things in our world that distract us. There's so many high school moments and there's so many light pole moments that call us off the road sometimes. What I love about Jesus, though, is that the power of Jesus is that when we begin to spend time in his presence over and over again, regardless of where you have been focused or what you were focusing on or what you want to be focused on, like when we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time in his presence, the result is always clarity. That he always brings clarity to life. So if you're in a place in a situation in your life right now where you're like, man, I don't know if I'm heading in the right direction. I don't know what I need to do in this situation. You should just understand this, that there is clarity that you can have in your life. And it's always at the feet of Jesus. Man, I don't know what my parents are doing. And I'm really confused about how our family's going to be in the situation. Man, spend time in God's word. Spend time with Jesus. And the result is always clarity. Jesus reveals the state and the condition of our soul when we spend time in his presence. That he brings clarity to our life and to our situations. That he begins to put our life into perspective. And we see evidence of this actually in God's word. And there's this really neat story about this guy named Peter. <coughs> Peter um, was one of Jesus' like, main dudes. He followed him all the time. And some of you may know this story that... 
right before Jesus is going to go to the cross, uh, he tells Peter, hey, Peter, I, I love you and you're following me, but you should know this, that you're going to deny me. He says, actually, all of you will deny me. Peter says, no, I won't. And he says, no, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me three times uh, before morning. And he's like, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. Well, it turns out, fast forward, as the night goes on, three different occasions, people go up to Peter and say, you're the one that's following Jesus. And Jesus had gotten arrested, and so it's kind of a scary moment. And Peter's like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And then sure enough, right before morning, the last one says, you, yeah, you follow Jesus. And Peter says, no, I'm not. It says that the rooster crowed, and Peter began to weep and to run. That he ran from, from, from being near Jesus, who was like carrying a cross, who was being put along a cross, and he ran away. And he began to weep. That he was embarrassed, he was scared, and he was ashamed of who he had become and, and where his focus had led him. It says that Jesus died on the cross, and, and we know this to be true, and he rose again three days later, defeating sin and defeating death. And so he, he meets his disciples in a room, and he says, hey, guys, meet me up by this lake and, and this sea, and, and we'll, um, we're going to meet together. Meet me there. It says that Peter and, and the disciples got there first, and they began to fish. Now, here's the thing, that in Mark 1, God, Jesus walks up to Peter and tells him, hey, you're not fishing anymore. You're following me. Yet in this moment, Jesus goes to the sea where these men are, and he sees Peter fishing again. And I used to think this was Peter just kind of being, like, rebellious and kind of just, like, being careless and, like, yeah, we'll just go fish. But that's not what it was. See, what I, what, what I really believe is going on here, and it makes so much sense to me, what I think likely was happening was that Peter actually— felt the shame of his abandonment of Jesus. And much like maybe you have felt sometimes, much like I know I have felt sometimes, is that I'm going to guess that Peter, because he totally let Jesus down, at least that's the way he felt, he totally abandoned Jesus, is that he probably assumed that he was now worthless to Jesus. And so if Peter was worthless to Jesus, the only thing he had left to do was his old ways. And so because he had messed up, he went back to his old ways and back to fishing. Like, this is what shame does to us. This is what sin does to us. This is the lie that Satan puts in you and me when we, when we go against what God has called us to do. When we stop resting at the feet of Jesus, our focus gets a little messed up. And Peter had stopped resting at the feet of Jesus and his relationship with Jesus. And he assumed because he was sinful that now Jesus would no longer love him the same. And so what do you see? Jesus or Peter went back to his old ways instead of following the call that Jesus had put on him. Maybe that's where you've been. That you've kind of gone back to the ways in which you used to live because you felt like you just couldn't be enough for Jesus. But here's the faithfulness of Jesus. Is that Jesus goes and he sees him fishing and he says, hey guys, and it had been all night, he says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they're like, bro, what? And they're like, cast their nets. They don't recognize it's Jesus. They cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And Jesus recreates a miracle that he had created a long time, that he had done a long time ago. And they bring in 
so many fish. He starts to break the nets, and it's really heavy, and, and, and it's this radical moment. And in that, they say, dude, that's Jesus. There he is. It was this really neat moment. Here's what, how Peter responds to this. It says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. The disciple whom Peter, who Jesus loved is John, by the way, the guy who wrote this and recorded this. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, here's what he does. He puts on all the clothes he had taken off for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came, uh, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. It says that Peter grabbed everything that he owned out of the boat. He jumps into the, to the water and begins to swim to shore. That when Jesus had revealed himself and shown himself to still be approachable, it's this really neat moment of Peter saying, hey, I'm going to grab everything. I'm going to give myself no reason to get back into the boat. I'm going to put everything on and I'm going to jump in and he swims. Now, it's kind of ridiculous because they're only 100 yards and he was in a boat and instead he tried to swim faster than a boat could go. Doesn't make any sense, but, but it happened. And it says that they showed up to land. It says, at, there at, on, the, on, the, on the land, Jesus says, hey, bring some of the fish. And he has a fire built, and he makes them breakfast. Jesus makes them breakfast. They, they just denied Jesus and abandoned Jesus and doubted Jesus, and he makes them breakfast. Like, he goes above and beyond to show his kindness to them. This is who Jesus is, just so you know. The God we worship, the God we, we serve, the God we call Savior. This is who he is. That in our sin, he proves himself kind and loving. That in our sin, he proves himself patient. It's this moment where Jesus uses to begin to slowly refocus Peter's vision around who Jesus is once again. And you need to understand that, that God may be doing the same thing in your life. That he's going to begin, if you say, hey God, I, I want to follow you and I want to know you and I've messed up and I want to spend time with you. And I begin to rest at the feet of the Lord. That he will begin to use situations and things to refocus you around who he is. It says that when they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, well, then feed my lambs. He says, hey, if you love me, you love me? Yeah, you know that I love me. Okay, show me. Show me that you love me. And then again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend to my sheep. And then he said to him a third time. Now you understand, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so three times, Jesus comes back to Peter. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do you love me? It's as if he's saying, hey, Peter, remember. 
Like, I acknowledge what you've done. I remember what you, I know what you've done. Like, this is what Jesus does for the sinner. This is what Jesus does for you and me. He doesn't just move on. In fact, he brings us back to the place of hurt to bring healing there to then let us move forward in a healthy manner. So you need to understand, if you've got some things that, that you've done against the Lord, or that you've got some things that are not right in your life, he's going to bring you back to those moments just to provide healing for you to walk through the rest of them. So he says to the third time, then tend my sheep. Or he says to him the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. He says, then feed my sheep. If you love me, then refocus your life to begin to do the next right thing. He says, I've called you to love people. What he means by sheep is not his literal flock. What he means by sheep are the people around him that he says, hey, I've called you to minister the gospel to these people, to, to deliver the good news of who Jesus is to these people by your life and by your words. And what you need to understand is that when you look around your life and in your teams and in your classes and in your families, that God has put people around you, listen, for a purpose, and he's given you the good news that you would share the gospel with these people. Like he's done this for a purpose, not just so you could sit by idly. That you'd be burdened for them, that you'd be praying for them. It says that um, they get up and they begin to walk. And as they're walking, it says that Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So he's again talking about John and talking about a moment in which John had leaned back against Jesus and said, yo, who's going to betray you? And he's like, okay. So he, Peter looks back and he sees John. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What will this man do? Now, here's what you understand. Where you look is where you go. Where you look is where you go. This is something I have to teach my kids that are learning to ride their bikes. That where you look is where you go. If you're, if you're a mountain biker in here, you like, like to hit the big trails. I used to do that all the time. And, and this is so key because a lot of trails on mountain bikes and mountain bike trails, they go between trees that are really thin. So your steering wheel or your steering wheel, your handlebars are like this wide and the trees are like this wide. And so you've got to thread that needle because if you clip a tree, your handlebars go this way, you go over that way, and you likely break your collarbone. So you've got to thread the needle, and you're flying. You're going fast. And so what you've got to really concentrate is not looking at the trees. If you look at the tree, you will run into the tree. Instead, you've got to look between the trees. You've got to look straight ahead and ignore the trees because where you look is where you will go. It happens every time. Trust me, I've hit a lot of trees. Peter looks back at John. And Jesus, in a where you look is where you go moment, said to him, hey, it is my will that he remain until I come. He says, but what is that to you? You follow me. What he told him, he says, man, stop looking at the trees. Stop worrying about everybody else around you and my plans for them. And instead, you begin to follow me. 
Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Would you refocus your mind around who I'm calling you to be? But the only time we can hear, not the only time, but the time that we get to hear God's voice the most, the time that we get to really experience that is when we're resting at, at his feet. You know, if Peter would have never gotten off the boat, if Peter would have never shown up, if Peter would have never spent time, if Peter would have never addressed the sin that he had in his life with Jesus, if he would have never rested in who Jesus was instead of his own sin, he would have never heard this. Yet it was in his interaction with Jesus in this moment that Jesus begins to redirect his heart and his mind. He says, no, you just follow me. He says, here is your purpose. Here is your direction. This is an initial focus and then a continual refocusing. See, this is kind of like a GPS, right? So, so I don't know if you've ever been driving somewhere and you realize you're lost and then you turn the GPS on on your phone. May, many of you haven't. Maybe you've seen your parents do it. And what happens sometimes is the GPS initially comes up and it's like, yo, make a U-turn. And you realize, oh, shoot, I've been going the wrong way this whole time. Now, here's the deal. When you make the U-turn, like, that takes the most effort. You've got to watch for other cars. You've got to, like, make some big moves. And then when you make the U-turn, you begin to head in the right direction. Now, here's what the GPS is going to do after that. It's going to say, like, hey, in 0.5 miles, hang a right. All right, 0.3, 0.2, 250 feet, hang a right. And then you're going to turn right, and it's going to be like, all right, go 14 miles until your next turn, right? And it's going to tell you, and it's going to continually redirect you. It's going to continually refocus you. The initial one is a little bit harder. It takes a little bit more effort. It takes a little bit more concentration. But then after that, when you're on the right path, it's just minor redirections. See, that's sometimes the way our spiritual walk with Jesus works. That for Peter, it was like, yo, man, you got to make a U-turn in where you're going. And then he begins to veer off. He says, no, 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 follow me. No, no, keep following me. Hey, keep, keep, keep concentrated on who I am. And the same is for you and I. That for some in here, the U-turn, as Jesus refocuses you, may look kind of daunting. It may look big. He might be calling you away from some friends. He might be calling you away from some habits. He might be calling you away from things that's going to change your reputation. He might be calling you to some U-turn moments. But here's the beauty in where Jesus is calling you, is he's always going to call you to a better direction. He's always going to call you to a life with more promise and more blessing and more hope and more joy and more peace. That where he redirects you is going to have more blessing than where you may be going on your own. Yet sometimes we look at the U-turn and we say, that's too big. That's too scary. That's too hard. Is this direction really going to be that bad? And the answer to that is yes. You're really going to be more lost. You're really going to be more stranded, more desperate, more hurt more disappointed than if you decide to say, hey, Jesus, I actually want to take this really seriously. Would you refocus my life? Would you show me where my priorities are messed up? Because there is promise in that, and there is hope in that. So how do we refocus? I'm going to just give you this, and we're going to go. We remind ourselves of three things. 
we remind ourselves of what God has done. In the Psalms, it constantly speaks about, man, God, I remember who you are. I'm going through a hard time, but God, I remember who you are. That you remind yourself of what God has done. You look in God's word and you say, man, God, you've done all of this. And you are the same yesterday that you are today, that you'll be tomorrow. That you remind yourself of what God has done, but then you also remind yourself of what God is doing. That if he's calling you to something, if he's bringing conviction in you, if he's directing you, then he's doing something good in you. Remind yourself that God is good and he's calling you to good things. And then lastly, that you would remind yourself that God, what God has promised to do. That he's promised to bring life to the lifeless. He's promised you an eternity. And he's promised you direction and purpose in this life. And he's promised you really good things. But if he's calling you to a U-turn, he's calling you to a better direction. But it takes resting who he has spoken. So are you spending time in God's word and in his presence? Are you trusting in who he is? I'm going to pray us out, and we're going to go from here. But if you have questions about any of this, if you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, if you have questions about where God may be U-turning you, man, any of our leaders would love to talk with you about that, help give direction and wisdom, because like you, we have been through very similar situations. I'm going to pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you so much for um, just this clear picture of who you are. God, would you bless this time together? God, would you, um, would you bless these students as they walk out from here? And Lord, as they pay attention to your spirit bringing conviction in their life. God, would you bring hope? And God, would you bring strength to follow you um, as you lead? Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you're doing um, right now and all you will do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.